There, how's that? Oh, you, you want me closer? Ah, okay. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for what you have given to us, that we can learn from your word, that we can learn to obey you. And as we get into your word today, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, give us attentive spirits, help us to learn, help us to grow, Help us to draw closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, uh, I didn't get the information about the message to uh, Heather early enough. This uh, message I've sort of called a challenge to fathers, since it is Father's Day. But this challenge is actually to all of us as believers. Alva, can you turn me down just a hair? Thanks. And we're looking at Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. I'm reading it from the New American Standard Bible. I'm going to read the entire passage, and then I'm going to start talking about it. Psalm 78, 1 to 8 says this, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell them to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And the first thing we see in this is God's challenge to listen. The psalmist starts by calling us to listen to instruction. I can remember many times not doing well in school when I was younger because I failed to do one simple thing. I didn't listen. It's important to understand who the psalmist is issuing this challenge to. This is not to the children, but to the fathers, 
He is saying, listen, I will teach you something. And you are to teach it to your children. When the call, with the call to listen, the psalmist promises to teach. Verses 2 and 3 say this. I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. He's talking about a legacy here, a legacy that goes back. And we're going to see that. And we're going to see how throughout history this has been carried on. The lesson we are to learn is not something new something we have never heard before. In fact, they are dark sayings of old. This reference to dark sayings of old is looking at the questions that have troubled mankind throughout history. These questions like, how do I get through difficult times? How do I trust God as well as many others? Verse 3 points to the fact that these teachings go way back in history. When Moses was preparing Israel to go into the promised land, he called them together to give them final instructions before leaving. Deuteronomy 6, 1-3 says this, Now this is the commandment the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you in all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. When Moses was preparing Israel to take the promised land, he was also reminding them to keep what God commanded them, to teach them, commanded him to teach them. He reminded them to teach their children to follow the path God set before them. Much later in Israel's history, the psalmist looks back to the lessons of the past and reminds his listeners that these lessons must continue in the future generations. Verse 4 continues, we will not conceal them from their children, but will tell the generation to come the praise of the Lord. Again, he's looking back, all the way back. Moses started the thing saying, listen and teach it to your children and to your grandchildren and so on and so forth. And the psalmist, hundreds of years later, is saying the same thing looking back to those teachings that have gone from generation to generation. Verse 4 continues, 
and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. See how the psalmist reminds his listeners to teach their children to praise the Lord for his wondrous works. The lesson he wants us to grasp in our lives and to teach our children are lessons of trust and praise. So we've seen God's challenge to listen. Now we will see God's testimony to tell. Verse 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. So he's carrying on this tradition. Again, we see this testimony by command is to be carried from generation to generation to generation and so on. This is a testimony that is not to stop. Parents are to teach it to their children, and when their children become parents, they teach it to theirs. Just to show how far-reaching these lessons are, I want to look at a couple of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, this is where Moses was preparing Israel to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, Moses says this to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is a 24-7 thing he's talking about. Every day, every night, the last thing before we go to bed, we should be teaching not just by saying, but by example. And what's rather interesting is Jesus quoted this passage Thousands of years later, Jesus quoted this very passage. In Matthew 22, 34 to 40, we read this. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. 
You know the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up. I'm sure they were expecting Jesus to pick something like one of the Ten Commandments, sort of like, thou shalt not kill. That's a very important one. But then they would have been able to say, well, what about stealing or lying or that? But Jesus, in his typical fashion, does the unexpected. He goes to Deuteronomy 6 and he quotes the root of all of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 6.16, Moses said to Israel, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you have tested him in Manasseh. And then when Jesus was tempted, what happened? He quoted that verse, Luke 4, 9 to 12. And Satan led him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Then he quotes scripture. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, It is said, You will not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, He's going back to Deuteronomy and he's quoting scripture. Here Jesus is walking in the principles. Listen to God's testimony. Obey God's testimony. And faced with temptation, quote God's testimony. It's important to understand something here. Jesus quoted this scripture as an example to us, but it is also something important to understand. He memorized scripture. And God expects us to do that as well. That we have it as a reserve within ourselves. That when faced, we don't have to go, nowadays it's to Google and look it up. We have it in our hearts. So we have seen God's challenge to listen and God's testimony to tell. Now we see God's call to faith. Verse 7 says that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Notice how there's this common theme in all of these where it's talking about keeping his commandments. But here he's saying we have confidence in God. Notice how he, how confidence in God is tied to keeping his commandments. It's also important to see the order the psalmist puts these in. We have confidence in God in order to keep his commandments. We do not keep God's commandments in order to have confidence in God. Yes, keeping God's commandments is very important. It's important in the sense that this is the path 
it is not important in the sense that this is the path to heaven, or even in the sense that you're doing this to please God because he saved you. Let's go back to what Jesus said was the heart of the law. In Matthew 22, 34 to 40, he says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the greatest and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. John had something very important to say about this in his first epistle. He challenged us by telling us that if we are genuine Christians, our lives will be marked. The entire second chapter of 1 John is a very important read. One thing I do know, 1 John is very hard to read. It's easy to understand, which is why it's so hard to read. Every time I read 1 John, I am reminded how poorly I stand up to God's scrutiny. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 say this, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. I really appreciate that John starts this chapter off with a comfort, reminding us that Jesus is there for our forgiveness before he challenges us with the hard things. He continues in verses 17 in verses 7 to 14. And he says this, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for you, for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 
How many times have we let anger at our brother? Remember, Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, you have already murdered him in your heart. That's an important thing to think about. Anger. And that's so easy to let stew inside of our hearts. And when we are, John is saying, we are walking in darkness and we are blind. And he's not talking to unsaved here. He's talking to Christians. It's also kind of confusing at the start when you look at this. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment, but, or I'm not giving you a new commandment, but an old one. But I am giving you a new commandment. You know, that's really confusing if you think about it. How can a commandment be both old and new? Well, actually, it does make sense if you tie Again, what Moses gave in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. You tie that to what Jesus told John and the other 11 disciples. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said this to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is the new commandment, which is also the old commandment. This new commandment, Jesus is actually emphasizing it in a very important way. He's saying something very important here. He's saying what truly marks us as Christians is our love for the brothers. That is the mark of who we are as Christians. And we cannot get away from that. Think of the depth of this love Jesus is talking about. We can never go as far as Jesus went. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he bore my sin. And it wasn't the pain, it wasn't the thorn of crowns, or the crown of, the, the crown of thorns, it wasn't the nails in his hands and feet. It was when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, God turned his back on Jesus because my sins were on him. At that moment, he suffered separation from the one he had been in close communion with for all eternity past. That one 
whose love and communion and fellowship Jesus experienced every moment of his life up until that time he cried out. And that's because my sins were on him. Your sins were on him. Anyone, their sins were put on him. I can never go that far. But he wants us to have that same intensity of love for our brothers as the love he showed to us. Let me tell you something. That's not hard. That's impossible. And we'll look at that later on because that's an important thing to think about. This kind of love Jesus calls us to is an impossible love to live up to. And that's the love John is talking about here. That same impossible love. And he says, if you love, you are walking in light. If you do not love, you are walking in darkness. So we have seen God's challenge to listen. We have seen God's testimony to tell and God's call to faith. Now we see God's warning to continue. As John used the contrast of light and darkness to illustrate love and hate, obedience and disobedience, Paul also uses darkness to remind us of where we came from and warn us not to walk there anymore. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 say this, So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Going back, to Psalm 78 and verse 8, we read this. And be not like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare their heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This almost sounds like a warning for people way back in the Old Testament times, except Hebrews 4 gives us the same warning. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11 say this. Therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest that any of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news and preached, good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said something concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall 
not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying, through David, after so long a time, just as he had said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, notice how he's jumping around in history here. He's talking about them not entering the rest. Then he's talking about David, and now he's going back to Joshua, where they are actually going into this promised land. But he says here, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after. So there remains a Sabbath rest for people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Hebrews is a difficult scripture to understand. One of the things that there are a lot of people that look at some of the verses in Hebrews and almost think that it says you can lose your salvation. And this is one of those passages that seem to appear that way, but it's not what's going on here. First of all, he says, they did not hear the voice and or hear the message and combine it with faith. Faith was never a part of the equation for them. Jesus gives a similar warning, which again, these are scary warnings. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, we hear this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, this warning is simple. I never knew you. And it's important for us to understand that what Jesus is saying is you can't know me and then not know me. So if you have truly come to a personal relationship with Jesus, he's never going to say, I never knew you. But he is still challenging us to listen and to obey. I want to talk a little bit about how I got saved because I think it's important to, again, what I said before about how Jesus' love is impossible. I think it's important to understand something here that I, it's taken me a long time over many years to learn. When I was 16, I spent a couple of months actually wrestling with God about my salvation. First I heard the preacher 
and knew there was something he had that I didn't. I needed, I did not need to be convinced I was a sinner. I just didn't know what the answer was. So I prayed the sinner's prayer. Lord, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. And I knew that I was not saved. I know that may sound crazy. But for weeks I wrestled and I kept praying that prayer over and over and over again. And I knew for a fact that I didn't get saved. And one night as I was sitting, thinking about this situation, God whispered quietly within my heart three simple words. You need him. I just looked up and I said, I need you. I knew that I was saved. Even now, even right now, I'm getting chills thinking about it. (laughs) And over the years, I have still wrestled. with this idea in our walk. I want you to understand something about this. It's not an issue of whether or not the sinner's prayer works or not. I want to be clear about that. To me, God knows each heart, and he knows what works for each person. To me, it was a formula. It was like saying a magic invocation And that magic invocation is something that would get me saved. God wanted me to come with empty hands, open heart, and just cry out, I need you. And no matter how you say it or what words you say, as a matter of fact, Jesus, when he talks about the Pharisee and the publican, what did the publican say? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was the same cry in his heart. I need you. It's the underlying cry of our hearts to say, I need you. That makes all the difference in the world in our faith. As a matter of fact, that is truly what our faith is. Ever since that night, I have been wrestling with, with him saying, Lord, I understand what you want. I just don't understand how. Anybody have that problem? It takes a long time. How do I have faith to live a holy life? How do I discipline myself to have the prayer life I should? How 
do I walk humbly before you? Paul talks about this same wrestling match in Romans 7. In Romans 7.15, Paul says this, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am practicing what I would not, what I would like, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. (laughs) Then he concludes in 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. This is a wrestling match we all go through. It is a struggle we all experience. And what I didn't get and what I still have to learn over and over and over again is just as I got saved by faith is how I am supposed to live the Christian life. Whenever faced with this dilemma, I need to come to God with empty hands and say three simple words. I need you. Most Christians will say, it is hard to discipline myself to walk the Christian walk. I say it is impossible. If we want to get real traction in our spiritual walk with Christ, we need to constantly remind ourselves to come to him and simply say, I can't do it. I need your help. As we make a habit of coming to him and saying, I need your help to do this, he will fill us with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and he will carry us through to finish the task. He will also carry us through the deep waters when we are facing real struggles in our lives. When we feel like we're drowning, if we just cry out, I need you, help, I'm drowning. Just like he did for Peter, he will reach out his hand. Paul said it in this way in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calls you. And he will also bring it to pass. That's an astounding truth. He calls us, and then he gives us the power. But it is up to us to turn to him when he calls us and say, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I need you to fill me with yourself that you can carry me through to walk in his way, to live for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us 
Not just great things, but yourself. When you put your Holy Spirit in each and every one of us, you have sealed us. You have put the power that created the universe inside of each and every one of us. You are able to carry us through even the deepest situations, even the darkest situations. You are there to be our light and our grace and our guidance and all and everything we need. We pray that you'll help us to understand. We pray that you'll help us to listen. To listen to you. To listen for that still, small voice in our hearts that tells us, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will carry you through the difficult times. And I pray that you'll help us to learn this lesson, to walk in this faith, and to be a messenger of your love to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.